Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. It's amazing. It's addictive. It's this amazing sourdough from Geelong. Yerawara fruit toast. Yerawara fruit toast. Right. Is that gluten-free? It's not, but it feels like it is. Right. <laughs> Uh, I was thinking back to uh, when we first met, as I tend to do when I'm interviewing people for mm. this show, who I know. Uh, when we, I, I guess it was November 2012 when you and Ayal were running your Tantra is Love workshops. Uh, it was somewhere in Abbotsford. Uh, oh yes, that one. And I reckon that must have been close to one of your first workshops. That was right at the start. Mm, that you that you guys were facilitating. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I remember. I'm just going to ramble for a second. I remember. I remember someone who I met on a dating app. Uh, that I don't even know if it exists anymore. Was who I never even met in person. She said, "You okay. should check out this." Um, this thing, uh, and I was like, and I, and I looked at it, and it made me so nervous, like just <laughs> reading your website, uh, that I was like, I real, I sh- something that was really, that really intrigued me. Mm. So I think um, most of the people who tune into this show are probably not familiar with what tantra is, and having heard me just go on that little ramble, maybe going, is Alistair some sort of sex fiend that we didn't know about? Uh, so and and it's a real honour for me to sit down with you, because I feel like in so many ways that was really the beginning of this kind of mm. spiritual awareness or um, spiritual awakening or whatever kind of term you want to put on it. Mm. So I'd really love for you to kind of shed some light for the people who tune into coming up next about what tantra is. Uh, because I think there is this kind of stigma that it's this highly sexualized, um, you know, kinky sort mm. of thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I get that a lot. I'm still trying to convince uh, some of my friends and family that I, I don't just get into a room and have a massive orgy with my participants. So there is <laughs> definitely this um, stigma around it or I guess assumption and, and I can see why. You know, most people when you hear the word tantra, the first word that they think of is sex. Um and but tantra is so much more than that so basically the way i describe it i see it as a framework for living Mm. and the tantrics were people who wanted to teach us how to live with awareness and consciousness in every aspect of our lives Mm. sex is a part of our life but so is our physical body so is our life purpose our relationships um, our spirituality and so what i love about the tantrics is they yes they were a um it's a framework, it's a spiritual system that celebrates sexuality, but that's just part of it. It's it's just one tiny little aspect of it. And that was something that really blew me away when I learned about Tantra. I was like, oh, okay, so this is just a framework, a way of doing life well in all areas. And we, it's I guess Tantra, one of the things that's made it stand out is the fact that it celebrates sexuality and that's why we've really focused on it. And particularly here in the West, that's what we focus on. We're like, oh, okay, it's all about that, but it's actually so much more. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, my friends. You have landed at another week of Coming Up Next, podcast rambling. And my guest this week, it is really, truly an honor to sit down with Emma Power this week. You are about to get your mind blown. And if you're sitting there at your computer listening to this show... Jump on iTunes, hit the magical subscribe button, leave us a review, and I will keep bringing you more amazing guests. And if you've got your Facebook window open, facebook.com slash cunpodcast, Twitter, at cunpodcast, Instagram, at cunpodcast, and that's all from me. It's funny, as you say, in the West, uh, there, there seems to be this... Um, need to put labels on things mm. in a way and 
something that really intrigues me about what you said then is about it being a framework. Mm. Uh, and I think that we're, we're often too quick to want that kind of quick gratification or people are looking for... Um, uh, this may be controversial to say, but I think mm. that this kind of constant striving for happiness, which yeah. I, which to me seems like it's kind of like a disease almost, like because happiness is kind of just a fleeting feeling. But I think what you what you really want is to create frameworks to be able to access these things as readily and as effectively as possible. Mm. Uh, and I think that through the teachings that you kind of um, uh, employ at Tantra is love really mm. really can set up a great framework mm. uh, so yeah it's funny you should say that about this um, fleeting feeling and this striving for happiness because often yeah, this yearning and this grasping for happiness is the mm. very thing that causes dissatisfaction it's like that constant um, yeah, grappling with hopefully one day I I will yeah, be achieve happy. this thing. Yeah, and it's and that the very process of um, of that is often what uh, creates the dissatisfaction. And and I guess what I found with tantra and one of the things that was really unique about the tantrics is that yes, they are it's a framework and some mm. people see it as a spiritual framework, but they're a spirit, spiritual people who don't deny the world or don't deny life they don't deny the fact that we are people who are householders which means we're in relationships or we have jobs we live in the world yeah and so these tantrics came along and said why don't we embrace life you know so many spiritual systems are trying to deny all of those things and say they say if you want to be spiritual you have to take yourself away from the world mm. to live in a monastery or a cave or to live aus- something aus- some kind of austere existence and the tantric-, tantric said no look life can be your monastery life can be your cave mm. and what i love about the tantric system is that it does allow for us to be all of that and still expand and still uh, be spiritual or mm. not even be spiritual but just find fulfillment here mm. and now. But like you said, this grasping for happiness um, can often, yeah, get in the way. What I love about Tantra is it's very practical. So it's there's a practical system of things that you can integrate into your life. And for me, my experience has been like, it wasn't like, oh, I found Tantra, I found happiness. It, it was, I found Tantra, I'm implementing these practices. Oh my gosh, I feel good. Mm. Oh my gosh, I feel fulfilled. Oh my gosh, I feel happy. How did that all happen? Rather than it being in the chasing. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, I'm really um, intrigued about uh, hearing about what these frameworks are that, you know, that, that people can and that you have found to put in place to create a system where you can experience joy and fulfillment mm. more often than experiencing sorrow and uh, depression. Mm. Um, but I'd, before we get to that, I'd love to hear about how you kind of came to this. Um, we were just talking off air about you used to work for a casting agent mm. uh, and... I'm really curious at this point in my life about how people who do live from the heart and who are following their kind of passion and their dreams, how they have set about doing mm. that. So how, is, how have you come to this? Sure, great question. So, I mean, the casting agent gig, that was just like a little blip. I think that was like a few months. Between surfing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I guess my, um, my you know, my, my former life, my career was hospitality. So I, I found this um, awesome gig where I could go down to lawn. Mm. And I, I, I kind of discovered this when I was around 20. I could go down to lawn. I could work for about two months and then I could take off for the rest of the year and make the money, the money that I'd, that I'd earned in that summer, I could make it last for a year. I was like, wow. this thing is awesome because, you know, you go down, it'd be summer, you'd work your guts out mm. and then I'd basically take off overseas and go on adventures and have travels and, and that was my, that's a real passion for mine, these adventures. And mm. um, so I did that for a solid seven years. Ooh, sorry. So I, I did that for a sol- solid, I think around seven years, this gig of work hard over summer in this beautiful little beach town and then just take off for the rest of the year mm. and go on adventures. And it was 
in those adventures that I discovered spirituality. So, mm. I mean, hospitality, that wasn't something I, I didn't like. I mean, I loved that job. I got to meet people and it was fun and I got to party and hang out with great groups of um, crew that we worked with. But, yeah, it was all about the adventures and the travels. And during these travels, I, I discovered uh, on one trip in India, I really started to find my feet when it came to spirituality and, and um, really dove into it from there. Mm. What what was the kind of catalyst or the uh, outstanding experience that you can remember? Well, I'd been practicing yoga for a little while, but going to India and um, going to a little town called Rishikesh, I um, I just I met I met a really great teacher there. I started studying at an ashram, and everything started to fall into place. And I was like, this yoga stuff is awesome. Like I've been studying it in the West. I mean, no, sorry, I'd been practicing it in the West. Mm. And then when I got to India, I started studying it. And that is the real difference. Like I think that people will go to yoga and they're bending their bodies in these ways and going, I think I'm doing something spiritual, but I don't know how like touching my, you know, knees or toes makes me a spiritual person, but they tell me it does. Mm. You know, whereas I went to India and all of a sudden I went, ah, okay, I get this. There's a whole freaking system behind this and Mm. now it makes sense. So... That's where I really, I kind of really fired up um, around yoga. And I'd started learning about Tantra a little bit in India as well. Um, So yoga and Tantra was something that I was interested in. And yeah, that had a huge impact on me. When you say what was the catalyst, like that trip to India was was huge. I started to really feel that life could be more than what I was experiencing at the time. Mm. Came home, um, hospitality gig, you know, again, Um, went on a few more adventures but what I really realized was like I want to delve into this yoga thing and I want to delve into this tantra thing as well Mm. Um, most the story I tell most people I'll tell you the real story because there's the story I tell people and then there's the real story Mm. (laughs) that sounds awful (laughs) they're both true they're both true Um, I was interested I started becoming interested in tantra because I was interested in tantric sexuality so for sure, I had this intuition that sex could be more than what I was experiencing. And like most people, I thought that Tantra was about sex. So what were, could I just cut you off for a second there and ask mm. what were you experiencing and what did you feel, how did you feel there could be more? So I was having good sex, but it was okay. Like I was like, it's good sex, but there was just this intuition that there could be more depth, fulfillment and pleasure. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it was kind of like just going, yeah. That was good, but it was more intuitive. It wasn't, and it wasn't because I was having an awful time. I was probably having uh, the, an experience that what I can imagine is the average experience or yeah. for most people. So I wasn't having an awful time, but I did, I was inquisitive to know it was, there was something that was telling me that there was more on the mm. other side. I just didn't know how to get to the other side. So that was making me intrigued about Tantra um, but kind of around about the same time, I was also, and this is the story I don't tell people, I was starting to have these really um, interesting spiritual experiences and I didn't really know what they were. And I was, and these probably started in Mexico, I would say. I was in, on a trip in Mexico and mm. living in the jungle and I was having these really expansive transcendental experiences. And I remember going to a yoga class, a Western yoga class in in. Um, in Mexico one time and <clears throat> the woman, the teacher coming up to me at the end, I was having this really kind of kind of mind-blowing moment and I looked up at her and I said, what's happening? And she said, I don't know, do you want me to call an ambulance? And I was like, shit. <laughs> I'm like, the, yoga, the teacher doesn't even know what's happening for me, you know? Yeah. And so two things were happening at the one time. I was interested in sexuality. I was interested in having a, a greater experience of sex. And at the same time, there was... something happening to me that I needed answers for Mm. and intuitively I got I had a feeling that Tantra was going to give me the answers to both and that's when I went right I need to study this I want to go and study this in more depth Um, I decided to go and become a yoga teacher but I I was seeking out somewhere where I could learn about yoga and become a yoga teacher and um, also learn more about Tantra and also hopefully find someone who knew what the heck was happening to mm. me. Um, and so I, I went and decided to study and I studied over at a place in, in Thailand and did my Tantric yoga teacher training. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, yeah, that was a really huge, that was a huge trip for me. That, that was amazing. That's when I discovered, really discovered Tantra. And that's when I discovered that Tantra was more than sex. Mm. And I also discovered that what the experiences I, were ha- I was having had, having had a context within the, the Tantric framework and there were some answers there. And there was teachers who could say, oh yeah, that, that thing. Yeah, yeah, we know what that is, <laughs> you know, which was really refreshing. Yeah, what did it end up being? Oh, it's just, it was just part of the journey, you know, it was part of, it wasn't, it was part of expanding. It was, Mm. um, expand me expanding as a human being in consciousness. And there was, um, I guess some, uh, some experiences that were indicating that for for me, but at least I knew I didn't need to go to a hospital (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't, you know, and that's just, it's just kind of one of the things that can happen along the path. And now I I see it in my students and I'm like, oh yeah, that thing, Mm. that's awesome. Mm. Yeah. Would you say, uh, one of the questions that I ask everyone on the show is, do you remember the first time, was that the first time that you'd had that kind of experience or was there something kind of earlier in your life where you felt like there's more? Mm, yeah, I, so I would say beyond um, what I do. So yes, I teach Tantra. Yes, I teach uh, a special type of yoga and I teach, um, I'm a, I, I guess you could say I'm a spiritual teacher of sorts, all of that. Um, but beyond what those titles are, what I do is serve. So serve people. Um, I'm passionate about how can I help people have a better life? Mm. How can I help people make life awesome? Like that's just what it is for me. And so when you started asking that question, I was thinking, I started racking my brain going, huh, when was the first time I wanted to teach people about Tantra and yoga and spiritual teachings? And it actually goes far beyond that. Mm. I remember a time um, when I was in year nine, I'd just been kicked out of the Christian school that I went to. Mm. Uh, that was it about 14, 15? Yeah, 14 years old. And I'd been kicked out of this school or asked to leave politely. Um, my dad was a, an RE teacher there. And uh, everyone thought I was a bad kid. Like everyone thought I was this little rebel. Um, I went to church back then because um, my dad was a minister. You know, back then dad mm. was a minister of a church. I went to church. Everyone thought I was a the bad kid, the naughty kid, the one that wouldn't adhere to the rules. And it was so weird having that external experience because I knew, I knew that wasn't the case inside. And I was actually trying, often trying to be good, but ended up kind of being bad. Mm. Got, got asked politely to leave the school, was going to a, um, got this, the, the new school to go to um, was a, a, like a, just a normal public high school that they couldn't take me. There was no room for me until the end of the year, the next year. So I ended up going to this random all-girls school just for a term. Mm. And they took me like on a kind of a good behavior bond. I managed to get myself somehow suspended within the first two days. And, right. you know, here's this naughty girl. And I remember one time I was at this school that I'd been suspended from. I was on a good behavior bond thing. I don't know if that's what it's called, but I was on a good behavior thing. You were on parole. I was on parole at this school. They were saying, as long as she's good, she can stay. And I was Mm. doing my best. But um, I remember this moment feeling really overwhelmed and taking myself to a toilet cubicle, getting on my knees and praying and saying, God, use me. Use me. I didn't even know necessarily who I was talking to, but I Mm. just said, use me. And I had this deep yearning to serve and beyond all of what people thought I was at that time all I wanted was to serve and I didn't know how and I didn't know in what context that would ever be but I just remember imagining myself almost as a channel for service how can I empower how can I inspire how can I impact this world in a positive way and that was my prayer Mm. and that was the first time I really prayed that prayer and I've prayed it so many times since and it's now it's my mantra Wow, that's pretty amazing experience to have as a fourteen or fifteen mm. year old. Um, I, I don't think I don't think I knew that your dad was a was a minister mm. and that you had such a religious upbringing. I guess the first question that comes to mind is what was your kind of idea of God then, and mm. has that evolved? Mm. Slash, what has that evolved to now? Mm, great. So that's a great question. I, it's funny because I was having this conversation with my mum. Um, and I said, I said to her, you know, the God that I used to pray to as a little girl is still mm. the same God I'm praying to. Um, but yeah, 
that God isn't, and I don't think he ever has been um, some, you know, big old dude with a white beard sitting on a cloud in the sky. Mm. But the relationship has remained the same. So since I was, since I was young, yeah. Mm. It's That's almost more of a feeling than a, a visual. What is the feeling? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I believe, I do believe in God. I do believe in, um, but I also believe that's, that God is something that has, there's many different names for it. So some people will call it the divine or source or universe or um, Brahma or whatever you want to call it. It's got so many different names. But for me, it's just uh, sometimes I feel more connected and sometimes I feel less connected to this, this, I guess you could call it source or thing or, yeah, macrocosm. Um, and when I feel plugged in, connected, I feel incredibly guided. And I also feel uh, it, it puts me in a, a feeling of devotion, reverence. Mm. So the feeling is when I feel plugged in, when I feel tapped in, when I feel connected to God, uh, it's more of a response in me and it brings out a sense of real reverence and devotion. Mm. Mm. And that might just be while I'm driving along in my car. It's not necessarily when I'm doing something spiritual might be when I'm just walking along or in the middle of work and it just hits me like a little lightning bolt. Mm. Yeah, one of the things that I've spoken to a, a number of people on the show about uh, is this idea that uh, God is just another word for love mm. uh, and that it's really like this kind of loving energy mm. that binds us all that is that omnipresent kind of mm. thing and i mean as you say that's just one person's experience it's mm. not necessarily true for everyone uh what what do you think is the kind of the difference and i suppose you'd be very well versed in both of these between religion and or someone who's religious and someone who is spiritual mm. look i believe that it, this just makes so much sense to me, right? We're all individuals with different temperaments. Mm. And, you know, for example, I was of a temperament that it, I didn't naturally do so well in an institution like a school. Whereas other kids, I looked at other, other kids and they were just like, that, they were at home. That worked really well for them. That framework, that having to go to school each day, having to go to class each day, that was a framework that worked for them. So we as human beings have different temperaments and there's going to be different things that work for us. Now, I believe that for a lot of us as human beings, we have this sense of there being this thing which is great and huge and omnipresent and we have this yearning to connect to it. So it makes absolute sense that we would work out the way that we best as a human being connect to that thing. Mm. And I see um, religions and I see spiritual frameworks. They're just all, all of us are coming up with our way in which we connect to that thing. And there's groups of individuals that all agree, yeah, that, that really works for me. Yeah, that works mm. for me as well. Um, and I don't actually see a real difference between religion and spirituality. They're just different, you know, frameworks within spirituality for connecting to that greater thing. Mm. And so I talked to my mom and my dad and they're Christians, yeah, really strongly uh, committed Christians. And I think that's fantastic. And mom said to me the other day, we were talking about meditation. She's got a great meditation practice and prayer. And she goes, you know, and she talked about Jesus. And I was like, she's like, yeah, you know, because that's how I connect. And I was like, fantastic yeah that's mm. great i'm so glad that you have found a way that works for you to connect to that thing mm. and so spirituality religions they're just different frameworks for me religion is more like the kids that did well in school <laughs> and institutions <laughs> yeah. um i was the kid that learned you know by traveling through to adventurous you know remote places in with no walls without boundaries that's where i found god where i found uh my church my monasteries were you know in the adventures of life mm. it's a great ram Dass quote uh, we're all just walking each other home oh that's beautiful that Good is one. so beautiful mm. yeah you know that whole thing and i was talking to my students last night about this about you know there's different paths up the mountain We've all got this sense or a lot of us, most of us, many of us have this sense of wanting to get to the top of that mountain. And for me, the top of that mountain is, you know, connection to God. We've just different, got different ways of getting there. Mm. Mm. What did you do to get asked to leave your school? Oh, uh, look, 
yeah the christian school look i was just um it wasn't one incident it was many incidences and um i was a kid that was rebelling against a really full-on system Mm. and the the that particular school was very um fundamentalist and very quite it felt to me quite dogmatic and um i just felt constricted i felt yeah it was just i don't know i I didn't agree with what a lot of the teachers were saying and it, it kind of brought up this thing in me that wanted to stand up and Mm. oppose um what was being pushed on me and i did a lot of opposing and just yeah and there was times where i I wasn't trying to be naughty i just ended up accidentally being naughty i (laughs) i I have a lot of energy and as a kid i had a lot of energy and i've always been very creative very energetic very um like a little whirlwind and so i'd find myself in these situations going huh Mm. like so but it got to a point where i almost um did enough of that to try and get myself kicked out because i really didn't want to be there anymore i didn't want to be there so i was i went on a little bit of a campaign to 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 make emma leave right yeah got people to sign a petition (laughs) yeah so you didn't get her out of here (laughs) yeah i can relate i spent a lot of time in the principal's office and got suspended yeah Uh, and i went to a uh, jewish school right so probably similar well, it wasn't re- it wasn't like dogmatically religious, but it was a very, uh, shall we say, academically inclined school, right? Uh, as opposed to artistically or creatively inclined. Yeah. Uh, and for someone like me, uh, who similarly had a lot of energy and a lot of um, uh, creative ideas about the world, it didn't necessarily fit into the box mm. that they tried to put me in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, w- was there something that kind of shook that out of you, or was this like a way that you found to more effectively kind of transmit that energy? I think I found it in my adventures and travels overseas. Mm. Um, I really, yeah, I, I just, I would go, I went to some pretty wild different places you know I remember being on my way to England and had a stopover in Turkey and ended up spending six months traveling through the Middle East and spent quite a bit of time in Iran and you know I just I just really thrived on that so I I guess for me channeling that energy into adventure and then when I found um, Tantra and yoga I really channeled it into just I dove really deeply into learning Mm. um, those teachings and that was a really for me that was quite amazing because I'd been um I feel like growing up in the Christian environment I was like a a, you know a square peg trying to fit into a round hole like I was just not it wasn't working but I from a very very young age I had this strong um spiritual character and I remember when I was in grade two I was writing love letters to God on Valentine's Day I was just really that way inclined and it was frustrating because I was that way inclined but I didn't fit into the environment spiritual environment that I was in and so finding tantra I was like yes sigh Mm. relief like oh god like here we go there's a this is a framework that fits who I am and I guess um it is so broad and it is so loose and it does uh allow for so many different temperaments it really worked for me Mm. So that's when I really plugged back in again. I guess I went from, you know, uh, stepping away from Christianity and having this like almost like a decade of just not really knowing where to put that spiritual energy and then finding Tantra and yoga. I was like, great, here we go. This works. And even in that, like I say, this works and this is, I don't see myself as this, how do I say it? This mad, crazy um obsessed tantric person because i i have got i do step outside and look at it it's another framework Mm. it is just another framework and i'm using that as my framework because that one suits me the best Mm. suits my personality the best we've said uh framework a few times Uh, haven't we maybe Uh, maybe 20 30 times yeah just a couple Um, um i'm curious to know what your kind of definition is of a framework mm it's for me i say it's like a life manual Mm. so you know you can turn to the page on physical health and then there's a whole heap of tips and techniques for how you can have an extraordinary experience of your physical body 
and that's what tantra is like it's they they said let's embrace life now there's lots of people who are in life but not embracing it or in life mm. and just going through the motions they've they've got, they've got a physical body they're not necessarily having the best experience of that they've got a job they don't necessarily love their job they're mm. in relationships you know going through the motions whereas um i feel like this framework this is a framework it's like okay um when i say framework i mean it gives me guidance mm. so I go to pay the page on relationships and it says, this is how you have extraordinary relationships. Here's some practical tools you can add to your toolkit. Mm. I go to the page on sex. Uh, it says, you want to have good sex? You want to have extraordinary sex? Here you go. This mm. is how. I remember one of the things uh, that I, I came away from that first workshop mm. I was talking about before feeling was this kind of overwhelming sense of, I mean, aside from feeling like, wow, what an amazing experience I've just had and feeling just my mind was blown to a million pieces. <laughs> it wasn't the only thing that was blown. Uh, um, so many puns. Uh, no, but I remember feeling like, uh, you know, if, if I want to learn how to be a photographer... I don't just pick up a camera and assume that I know mm. the best way to be a photographer. Mm. I'll pick up a camera, sure, and I'll try and understand as much as I can by reading a manual or by trial and error. But ultimately, unless I am some sort of savant, I'm going to need to go to learn practical techniques mm. about composition or about shutter speed or aperture or whatever it may be that relates to the camera. How does this relate to sex, I hear you asking? Well... The, th the thing that really struck me was that we, so many people, myself included, up to that point in time, it's like you just take this uh, this thing for granted that we do. It's like you do it once when you're 15 and you go, okay, I know how to do this really awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, cool, I'm just, I'll, I'll, I, I can do it, mm. but you can't really. No. Well, this is the thing that I, I say. It's really, it's funny, isn't it? How it's almost like sexuality and relationships. It's assumed that we're just born with the, the knowledge of how to do yeah. those things well. And like you said, anything else, if you want to learn how to play a guitar, you, you go to a teacher and you invest in becoming skilled in that area. And that's absolutely um, the case in sexuality and relationships. Mm. Uh, you you want to learn how to be an incredible lover and partner um, you can learn that. And mm. in fact, it's something I highly recommend it is learnt because it's a totally different experience um, when you're just kind of bumbling along with what you think is about right. Mm. Um, and in relationships, I see this as well um, so often. You know, I used to have this theory where that love conquered all. I used to kind of think, oh, love conquers all until I fell deeply in love and was in a relationship that was so full of love um, but it fell apart mm. and it fell apart because I wasn't so good at relationships. Uh, I hadn't worked out that it's a skill that can be learned. Yeah. And that's why I love um, the tantric framework because it, yes, it's a spiritual framework, but it's also very, very practical. And it says, okay, if we're going to do life, let's do it well. Mm. So we could go through the motions of life or we could have an extraordinary experience of life. Extraordinary relationships, extraordinary sex, extraordinary physical body. Um, and that's why, yeah, I think it's so important. It's like, why, why wouldn't we want to learn those skills? Mm. What are some of the common misdemeanors you see in uh, our kind of culture, I guess, a, a Western culture, uh, that are sort of things that, that can be easily remedied or that where there are kind of more effective or more deliberate ways of, of being in what area do you mean in sex or in relationships or well yeah in both so uh, i guess yeah something that happens really commonly is well this just firstly this assumption that it's um something that we should just know how to do mm. so this bumbling along without investing um in the evolution of it so not recognizing it is something that you can be good at um, you can be a really good partner being a fantastic partner is a great goal to, life goal to have mm. uh, but we forget to place priority on it so we've got all these goals uh, in life and rarely um, be an 
incredible partner is on that list it's like you know be a famous whatever or be uh you know amazing at my career but being an incredible wonderful partner isn't is often it comes uh it doesn't come up high on the priority mm. list it's not um, like there's no del- there's nothing deliberate around the, exactly exactly yeah. there's nothing deliberate about it so becoming complacent in our relationships is one of the huge things i see as um i think it's really sad becoming just assuming um, that that person's just there or going to be around mm. um, without striving to evolve as a human being for that person um, to be a better partner mm. and to have a better relationship. And, of course, we want to have extraordinary relationships, but often we don't realise that until we get onto our deathbed and go, oh, hmm, maybe that was an area I could have invested a little bit more time and energy into. Mm. Um, so I see that I often hear stories about people having that discovery a little too late. And I think that that's really sad. Um, And when it comes to sexuality, really similar. It's not recognizing that it is a skill that can be learned. Um, And also not recognizing that with a little bit of effort, it can become a totally transformed experience. It's really funny. There's almost like... uh, when I decided to learn about Tantra, I was like, right, I'm going to go learn about Tantra and I want to learn about tantric sexuality. I had a friend of mine come up to me. He was this, he's this surfy guy. I, I, I see I've got a lot of kind of surfy guy friends and he said, oh, you're going to go learn about this tantric sex stuff. And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, whatever you do, don't forget how to have just some straight up Aussie sex. Mm, just a good fuck. Yeah. He goes, don't forget how to do that. And I'm like, oh God, that's the one thing I'm really glad now I have forgotten <laughs> how to do. I have no idea what that looks like anymore yeah. um, because it is a totally different experience. It involves meat pies and tomato sauce. <laughs> Kinky, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, falling into complacency in our relationships and in our sexuality and not making them a priority and not realising, um, you know, the quality of our, our life can be when those two areas are really lived in their f- fullest. Mm. What are some of the things that you've discovered through this that have really helped you to make deliberate choices around both of those areas within these frameworks yeah so when it comes to relationships i feel like every single day we i'm presented with those choices like Mm. particularly with my husband i see um each day it's like there's moments in our day together where we you can come you come to a crossroads and you can make a choice that goes one way or another and Mm. i feel like um what i've done is i've got this almost like this little toolbox full of tools now and when I get to that crossroad I kind of look in my toolbox and I'm like oh okay I'm going to use that so that I can go one way instead of the other Mm. and I really see so clearly now um, in my relationship in in those choices and at those crossroads how relationships fall apart because if you if you make a wrong turn enough times it's never inevitable it doesn't matter how much love there is it's going to fall apart Mm. Um, so that's what is you know has been really useful for me in my in my relationships is being able to use tools even things like just learning how to communicate well or learning how to um, deal with conflict mm. um, there's actually tantric teachings around that which I think is really cool when it comes to sexuality some of the things that I've found have really transformed my sexuality is learning um, learning how to firstly learning how to access my body to its full potential so I wasn't I was having an experience of sex, but of course I wasn't having a fully um, the full scope of my pleasure. And through the tantric techniques, I've learned how to experience more pleasure. Um, in learning how to experience more pleasure, I've learned more about the orgasmic about orgasmic potential. Mm. Uh, in learning about orgasmic potential, I've started to realize what an orgasm actually is. And so, in tantra, one of the things, one of the tools that really, when it came to tantric sex, that made my jaw drop was learning about all of this this huge range of orgasms that a person can have. You know, mm. there was something like they started when I my teacher was telling me about eight different orgasms uh, a person can have. Good grief. Right? <laughs> and now I've discovered more. I was like, oh, there's more than eight. Oh. Um, <laughs> but what the tantrics and the yogis taught was orgasm is fantastic, but what is an orgasm? Mm. Uh, what is sexual energy? An orgasm, in the moment of orgasm, you're not thinking about the past or the future. You're about as present as you could possibly ever get. Mm. Now, that's a pretty unique place to be in pure presence. It's what so many great spiritual teachers are teaching us uh, is a cornerstone of uh, a practice. Mm. And here we are in sexuality 
you know, having these experiences, but not actually even realizing or recognizing what they can be and what their potential is. So in Tantra, one of the, I guess, the tools that really transformed my sexuality was recognizing that, realizing that in the moment of orgasm, uh, if I can understand the state that I'm in and even learn to extend it. So these tantric tools teach you how to have extended orgasmic states. Mm. Then I'm recognizing a really high level or beautiful level of consciousness. Um, and the tantrics and yogis even say that that moment in orgasm can be a tiny taste of enlightenment or samadhi, wow. um, which is pretty huge. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how do you get there? Well, how, yeah, how do you have an, ex, uh, an extended orgasmic state or yeah. a divine orgasmic experience? God, that's a whole workshop. <laughs> uh, it really is. Um, but briefly to kind of touch on that most people have a certain type of orgasm Mm. um and when i ask people how they feel after that orgasm the most common type of orgasm for both men and women um they say afterwards they feel pretty depleted Mm. and there's tantric tools that teach us how to rather than lose energy when we orgasm retain it within the body Mm. um and when we're retaining this energy within the body it means that sex becomes an energizing uh, force mm. and sexual energy becomes a force and when we can retain that we can it's almost like instead of losing all of that energy you keep that within you're more likely to have an expanded state mm. and what happens when you have an expanded state or you have a transcendent transcendental experience in sex you get a little glimpse of a higher level of consciousness when you have a glimpse of a higher level of consciousness it changes who you are fundamentally you can't go back to how you were. Mm. Even you might fall, go back to almost who you were, um, but you are able to use sex as a tool for becoming a better person, essentially. Mm. I guess when you have those experiences where you evolve, you can't step back because you know too much. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so to do that is making a deliberate choice to regress. Yes. Which is almost impossible to do. Yeah. Well, it is, you know, as even as humanity, we can't regress. We're moving for, even though it doesn't look like it so much at the moment, mm. but we are moving forward. It's a, it's the principle of evolution. Mm. One thing that you were talking about there, um, you were talking about the different types of orgasms. Mm. And I remember from the first workshop that I did with you, this idea of the difference between explosive and implosive. Yeah orgasmic kind of states and that was one of the things i remember first of all being confused about and then having like my mind blown about and there were a couple of topics that you touched on within that workshop that were uh very curious points the first one was this myth that there are women who can and can't orgasm Mm, mm. and kind of dispelling that Mm. um and then there were, there was this kind of idea of um, men and women cultivating their sexual energy, mm. and the way for a man to do that was by not ejaculating. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, wait, what? <laughs> Isn't that the whole point of sex? <laughs> But actually, this mindset that we are in about it kind of being that goal-oriented experience kind Mm. of detracts from perhaps the uh, what it could actually be Mm. as this expansive experience. And I think the contrasting experience for women was having a kind of clitoral-based orgasm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what my question is here. I suppose I suppose in the first part it's about dispelling that myth. Okay, yeah. And then kind of going into what you've discovered that sex can be when you kind of remove this kind of this um really headstrong goal mm, about mm, it all. Mm. Yeah, so that that first that myth and I do believe it is a myth and I guess I can speak from personal experience when it comes to um this idea of labeling yourself as non-orgasmic or labeling a woman as uh, non-orgasmic. Because for most of my sexual life, I was um, what most people would say non-orgasmic. I'd never had an orgasm. um, And it was a real source of frustration and some sadness for me. And I actually had a a girlfriend who was studying um, 
medicine or science or something. I can't remember what. It was years ago. And she came to me and she also had never had an orgasm. And she said, oh, you know what? I found out today at school, Mm. at university, um, is that there's 20% of women who just don't orgasm. Like we just don't have it in our bodies Mm. i mean i shouldn't laugh because i'm laughing now because of what i know but oh yeah it's just we don't have it in our bodies to be able to yeah we just don't have the orgasm button and i was like oh okay that makes sense um that's me i'm in that 20 percent, and that's you you're in that 20 percent. so that was probably the worst uh information anyone could have given me (laughs) at that point of my life um since discovering tantra and since really exploring Uh, what a woman's body is capable of. Mm. I strongly believe now that every single woman has the capacity to orgasm. And um, I also believe that every single woman who is orgasming has the capacity to have a a much um, bigger experience or varied experience or full experience. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I've worked with hundreds of women now and worked with lots of women who have said, I can't have orgasms or not, I'm not orgasmic. Mm. And it's about redefining A, first, often what they think an orgasm is, um, but B, like there's so many different reasons why a woman wouldn't orgasm. And um, yeah, through these techniques and, and tantric practices, that's often uh, a little key that helps to unlock that. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, then talking about, I guess, you know, this other thing that blew your mind around uh, different ways of viewing sexuality and different ways of viewing um, sex as an experience. So when uh, a person has a clitoral orgasm, most often, or and when a guy ejaculates, most often it's an experience that leaves us feeling depleted. Now, the tantrics talked, had, they talked about sex being one of the most potent forces on the planet. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is, right? Like when mm. you look at it, it's often what makes us make decisions. It's like, are we yeah. going out on Friday night or not? Uh, it's <laughs> what, what, put, what people put on billboards to sell things. They say sex sells and that's mm. because it is a potent force. Uh, it is one of the things that makes the world go around. And it's, I would say, one of our most untapped resources. And the tantrics recognized that. And they said, sexual energy, it's this potent force. How can we learn to cultivate this energy? How can we learn to harness this energy and then use this energy, channel it into different areas of our life? Now, what they discovered is that when a woman had this certain type of clitoral orgasm or when a man ejaculated, that he would lose his force Mm. or she would lose her force, her energy. Um, And that's, I think, an experience that we can all kind of relate to. Uh, So they didn't say... so, And this is what lots of different spiritual... um, uh, systems or religions also recognize and their answer to that was don't lose your force don't lose your potency so don't have sex mm. and the tantrics kind of looked at them and said oh, that's a bit of a shame because you know sex has got all of these other fantastic aspects there's so many other reasons why we, we would want to continue to have sex mm. so what they did is investigate ways we could have sex but not lose that potency and that force so would you say they wanted to use the force use (laughs) use the force absolutely (laughs) yeah this is it um yeah when it comes to guys it was about learning how to separate orgasm and ejaculation Mm. orgasm being one of the most potent um, ways to increase energy that sexual force within the body so what would happen if a guy was able to separate that as two separate phenomena well all of a sudden he can have an orgasm without ejaculation. Well, that means he can have five orgasms without ejaculation. Mm. Like, how good is that? That's a lot of energy in the body. So learning how to separate the two, learning how to have an extended um, and lengthened period of lovemaking where a man can become multi-orgasmic was one way to increase sexual energy Mm. in the system. And for women, it was about, okay, not stopping having clitoral orgasms. I'm a massive advocate of the clitoris. Uh, it's about learning how, how to have a clitoral orgasm that doesn't explode out of your your body so mm. that it actually implodes within you so that after the experience, you feel energized. And it doesn't mean the end of sex. It means mm. you can keep on going. Um, what happens when we learn these techniques is just naturally sex can become longer, mm. a, a more extended. There's more of an extended experience. Um and when it doesn't become about this goal of uh, searching for the, the clitoral orgasm or the ejaculation, I often kind of see people, people talk to me about sex and it's almost like the orgasm or the ejaculation is something to kind of tick off the to-do list. Yeah. Right, you know, straight to, straight to the point here. 
And often uh, it's the subtleties in sexuality and the subtleties in the journey of sex uh, that are the most powerful or potent moments Mm. or intimate moments or expanded moments. And we're missing them by just getting in and racing to the finish line. And it's, it's kind of a metaphor for life. Like we really see this, you know, people are chasing their goals and racing to the, trying to race to the finish line and not actually taking a moment to experience uh, the now or what's mm. happening in the in the moment um, so having that attitude towards sexuality just even that very attitude towards sexuality becoming less goal orientated and all about the journey and the exploration and the adventure um, will transform a person's sexuality mm. and and life i imagine and life his holiness the dalai lama said um there are only two days where nothing can be done tomorrow and yesterday ah that's good yeah and i think that's quite pertinent to what you're saying at the moment yeah um and how we kind of take that uh, idea and that mentality then into relationships i mean i would be curious to know how many times once two people have had sex turn to each other and go did you come yeah (laughs) and that's the kind of marker as to whether or not it was a good experience for both of them um or whether or not they did their job right yes you know uh but taking this idea of uh, abundance which is i suppose what you're talking Mm. about an abundance of experience Mm. um and and in the subtleties and the nuances Mm. and reverence and um and really cultivating a potent energy, how that can kind of carry into a relationship and what the what kind of underpins that for you, mm. you know, just recently married as well mm. in this extraordinary relationship, mm. how you're smiling like... I know. Like a goofball. <laughs> you, a goofball who's in love. <laughs> mention his name and I just... I didn't say his name. I know. Just mention him and I get all... <laughs> yeah, I'm... Yeah. Smitten. I'm well and truly. Smitten like a kitten. Yeah. Uh, how, how have you found then, I guess, talking about you, mm. that you've managed to carry this mindset mm. from over from just being a, an experience of sexuality mm. into an experience of relationship that mm. has depth and mm. that is living a life of reverence and abundance. Mm. Yeah, so um, you make such a good point there because it's one of the things I say is that um, lovemaking doesn't end when the sex is over. And in tantric sexuality, there's so many lessons to be learned in the process of making love. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about, and the tantrics talk about that being an expanded state of consciousness. So the idea for me is that if in your lovemaking you're able to go to such depths and such heights and have um, such beautiful moments of intimacy, connection, oneness, expansion, um, you really become a better version of yourself in those moments. And when mm. we talk about sexual energy being such a potent force, it's in sex, it's like it's like distilled into this this moment or this experience. But the idea then is to take the lessons you've learned in the sexuality and let it spill out into your everyday life. So yes, that reverence, that devotion, um, that connection, that intimacy, like how can that play out? Um, outside of that experience and it is it's about it's about you know we talked about before when you have these expanded states of consciousness you don't drop back to how you were Mm. so if we use this is how we use sex um, to become better people and how we use sex to yeah be better in our relationships that connection that depth that intimacy intimacy bringing it into your everyday life Mm. and how how do you do that i guess it's remembering so it's it's like okay and i guess also it's remembering it's also having those experiences it's hard to forget mm. um so if you're just kind of having a fuck and there's nothing wrong with that i'm not saying i think you can have a reverent fuck yeah. um but if you're having an unconscious fuck you're not likely to then turn around and treat each other very well afterwards mm. right um it's more likely that you're going to have an unconscious experience of relating to each other so if i guess what i'm saying is by bringing that attention awareness into your sexuality it will just naturally kind of flow out into your everyday life or it Mm. should do because you're setting that intention it 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 is quite extraordinary what can happen Mm. um when you open your mind a little bit to these new experiences Mm. and i guess my mentality of it was 
uh, initially was, what the fuck are they talking about? Mm. What is this? And then it was like, well, no, open your mind. You've got nothing to lose by yeah. opening your mind a little bit. The worst case is that you discover that it's not an effective lifestyle choice for yourself. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, that, so, you you have this amazing experience when you're in India and you're having and you're going mm. on these adventures, and you discover tantra, uh, and it, you find some congruence with what you'd been having as a kind of physical experience of the world and life. Mm-hmm. Why did you then, or, or what was it? I suppose is a better way of framing it about that that you wanted to bring back to create this, um, I guess school education mm. program whatever whatever you want to kind of call it uh, tantra is love mm. i discovered tantra and i didn't want to bring it back and teach it to anybody right. <laughs> <laughs> not because uh mainly because i i never really thought of it in that way i never thought in terms of one day i'll be a teacher of this i thought in terms of i've discovered the best thing in the world and i want to sink my teeth into it and i want to dive head first and i want to learn everything that i can so i threw myself into the study of tantra study mm. of um, tantric yoga and really almost like put myself through a university degree version of learning everything that i could and while i was doing this all of my friends who were going to university and getting their degrees were looking at me and probably pretty much talking to each other saying oh dear what's going to become of her Mm. Um, I actually had a friend recently say we always were a bit worried about where you'd end up because Mm. they were doing something productive with their lives and they could see me not doing something productive with my life but I had this yearning and I had to follow it and that was to learn more and so I just learned and learned and learned and learned I did all these teacher trainings around tantra and yoga without the intention of becoming a tantra teacher um and what happened was I got back uh, and everyone could see I changed. It was quite apparent that there'd been a massive transformation and that it was positive. And I was really excited about it and I talked about it and I told all my friends about it um, and people wanted to learn more and more and more. And it got to the point where I couldn't catch up with everyone and have cups of tea with them um, to talk about what Tantra is. I had to make it more practical and I had this idea that I would create some kind of course or workshop Mm. at the same time that absolutely terrified me because i was so scared of public public speaking Mm. i was absolutely terrified but i realized that i had this treasure trove of teachings that needed to be offered um in my travels i'd met an amazing man a guy called al who i a good friend of mine i love him dearly and he was teaching workshops for women around women's sexuality this Mm. is i met him in thailand And I remember sitting on the floor of his little Thailand hut one day and saying to him, what you do is brilliant. He's absolutely incredible at what he does. And he had so much knowledge around sexuality and women's sexuality. That was what he was um, really, at the time, he was specializing in. And I said, you've got to, you've got to, you could be traveling the world with this. Mm. And I remember like looking at him and seeing almost like it was like a little light bulb or went off in his head um and when i got back to australia i said right let's get you out here let's i want you to be sharing what you do so he came out to share about tantric um he came out to share about female sexuality with a bunch of my girlfriends that i said you've got to learn about this from Mm. this guy and i said while he was here i said i'm going to do this tantric course and we kind of said what it made real real sense why don't we do this together and so we together we created co-founded tantra is love and um i remember my first workshop Oh God, I was terrified. Al and I were really good for each other because I, I guess I was good for him in that I got him to Australia and I was able to get things logistically up and happening. Um, and he was really good for me because he saw my potential mm. and he just committed to seeing the best part of me. But I was shit. I was really <laughs> shit. I remember that first workshop. I sat there with the papers in front of me hands shaking and read every single word off mm. the page refused to look at any of the participants in the workshop because i they scared me um I, honestly i could not imagine that right yeah like now i love public speaking like it's something i really enjoy but i was so scared and he beautiful man that he is he just looked at me with love and adoration like he saw me for what i could be mm. um but yeah, and that really helped me. And so the two of us um, built Tantra's Love together before he went overseas off on another journey. Um, and then out of Tantra's Love, there was just a natural progression to create what we call the, the Awakened School. 
now. And that is really one of the most phenomenal things I've ever done with my life is create the Awakened School. So what we started noticing was that people were coming to the Tantris Love workshops and having these crazy mind-blowing experiences and mm. their lives were turning upside down and, and their perspective was changing. Like Just like with you, you, you said, you know, your perspective changed. Um, and then they'd finish on the Sunday night of this workshop and say, so what now? Mm. What's next? You know, we had, you know, the sexuality workshop, we had the women's workshop, we had the relationships workshop, but what next? Like, how do I integrate this in my everyday life? And so I realized I needed to create something for these poor people who had nowhere else to go after we'd blown their <laughs> bloody brains open. Like, what do we do now? Um, so I created the Awakened School. And what this was about was having a community where people could meet every single week and where they could learn in a more integrated way. Okay, all of these, I've, I've used the word framework and tools and techniques and practices so much throughout this uh, interview with you, but really not giving them away because mm. it's hard to explain um, it in, I guess, an hour. Um, and that's why I was so passionate about creating this. I was like, okay, I've got, it's more than about sexuality. It's more than relationships. It's about life every single aspect of life mm. so what i created i went off and lived in the jungle and locked myself in a tiny hut and um seems to be a recurring theme for you <laughs> it is <laughs> it is and i spent two months building this program called the awaken series which really was has as i said one of the most the most amazing things i've ever done because i've seen how this now changes people from an everyday perspective and so i created eight courses within the awaken series um, and pe- what happens is people would come and they receive a teaching, a philosophy, a tantric practice. They, we talk about a different theme each week. Then we do this very special type of yoga mm. that is designed to do all of these things that I've been talking about, open you up, expand your consciousness, awaken you to who you truly are, and then um, and find more f- depth and fulfillment in life. And yeah, so that's how that kind of all came about, but never with... Uh, an intention to build it it's always been a response to need and this comes back to you know me being on my knees in that toilet cubicle at the age of 14 saying how can I serve God use me and for me this is what it's about and the Awaken School and and Tantra's Love as well the workshop it's about okay this is how I serve this is the best way I can I can help people Mm. to have uh, a better experience of this life Mm. is is that for you what like what the meaning of life is um that's a really good question because the meaning of what is the meaning of life so for me um i'm i'm with the yogis when they talk about the meaning of life being self-realization so it's this understanding of who you truly are beyond your name personality your job uh your title Mm. how many kids you have what your face looks like what your body looks like who are you beyond all of that And so for me, the meaning of life is discovering that, is peeling back all of those layers slowly, one by one, and really starting to understand who I am from an internal perspective. And and the yogis talk about the meaning of life being self-realization. And what I love about that is they're not saying that the meaning of life is God-realization. And it's not something that we're seeking, which, by the way, is kind of the same thing. Uh, But it's not something that we're seeking outside of ourselves that's external to us. And that is really a key to shifting our perspective on life because so many of us are waiting for a grasping, like we talked at the very start. Okay, I'll be happy when. Mm. I'll be happy when I have that perfect partner. I'll be happy when I have that job or I have that much money. And the yogis and the, the tantrics teach as long as you are, are grasping out for something outside of yourself, you're never going to be happy because you just can, gonna once you get that thing, there's going to be more dissatisfaction because there'll be the next thing. Mm. So for me, there's two um, aspects. It's my life for me, the meaning of life for me is to be on this earth constantly committed to discovering who I am beyond all of those things, self-realization. And but also yes, service and and being here to discover who I am. But I'm not, I don't want to just spend eight hours a day navel gazing, staring at my belly button, saying who am I? You yeah. know, like yeah, very. That's all good and well, but what are you doing to make this place a, a better place? So it's a combination of the two: a little bit of belly button gazing, mm-hmm. and uh, but really saying how can I have an impact, and how can every interaction that I have be a positive impact? Hmm. Mm. It's a pretty amazing philosophy and, and way to live your life. Mm. Thank you so much for sitting down with me 
uh, if anyone who's listening to this is tickled by <laughs> some of this information, they can find your courses at tantraislove.com. Yep. www.tantraislove.com for uh, uh, more of the information around tantra, tantric sexuality, tantric relationships. Um, and then www.theawakenschool.com for the courses that help you integrate this information on a weekly basis. Mm. So if you would like to have your mind blown, <laughs> I would highly recommend uh, checking out either of those things. Before we do wrap up, there's one question that I ask everyone to round out the conversation and that is what makes you silly? <laughs> so uh, what makes me silly? My husband makes me really silly. Uh, he is nat- he's naturally very silly and when we get together, it almost becomes a little bit competitive on who can become the silliest. It's become like an extreme sport of silliness, actually. <laughs> it's, it's almost like we want to shock each other and so we're always trying to one-up each other mm. um, on how ridiculous we can get. And uh, yeah, it just gets a, bit, it gets a bit ridiculous. I'm really, like sometimes I think I'm really glad that... Uh, no one can see us right now. Right. This is, and actually, my my uh, nieces and my little nephew also make me really silly because it's a kind of. I, I guess I have the same uh, attitude. I get in there and I'm like, and my mum and my dad and my um, sister and brother-in-law, they're like, oh no, they call me Mimi. Mimi's here. <laughs> the kids are not going to be able to sleep. They're going to be so psyched up because it's like, okay, how can I get as ridiculous as possible for these kids mm. to the point where they're shocked or uh, over the fact that I'm being ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the ridiculous things you do with them? Oh, just different voices and um, just uh, just playing, just being super crazy playful and just really intense and really extreme. They say they say now uh, there's this thing, little, my little niece always, she sits there and she gets to the point where she just rolls her eyes and she's like, Mimi, you're so dramatic. Oh, you're so dramatic. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, give him a good razz, give him a good shake up. Yeah. It's amazing how uh, kids seem to be this amazing representation of this unconditional kind of love yeah. and how much they have to teach us silly adults who've put all this armour on about totally. stripping it back. Totally. I love it. That's like my happy place is with those kids. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you. Thank you.